Hey friends, Dan Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. Our guest today is none other than the most reverend Thomas Michael Lawrence. Perhaps you've heard of him. He finished a series on Ecclesiastes recently, in case you didn't know, and I wanted to get his reflections on the book of Ecclesiastes, its contribution to wisdom literature and to our lives as Christians. So listen, enjoy, and in the spirit of Ecclesiastes, remember that one day you will die. Michael, welcome to the Disciple Henson Podcast. It's great to be back. This is my first one with you, I think. Uh, I think or have we... Have you and I done one? Yeah, you said it was unforgettable, maybe the best one of your life. <laughs> um, okay, this is the second one we've done. Then. Maybe second one. Okay, all right. Michael, what's the meaning of life? Oh. Start off with the easy questions. If only I knew. Well, I, I don't... The, the, the meaning of life or the purpose of life? Because sometimes people... Use those terms interchangeably. I thought you referred more to the meaning of life in Ecclesiastes more than the purpose, yeah. but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I probably did. Uh, I think the way I normally phrase it was, what's the point What's of the life? point? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, the point of life uh, is to enjoy life as the gift that God has given it, and in that enjoyment... Uh, to to worship him, to honor him as God, to fear him only, uh, and to entrust your life to him. That's a great answer. Are you enjoying this so far? Yeah, so far so good. So far so good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to talk about Ecclesiastes uh, today for the next few minutes um, and do kind of an overview of how many sermons did you preach? Like eight? I, I think it was just seven. Seven. I think it was seven. I gave you an extra one there because you had one sermon that went an hour and 10 minutes. No. I counted that as two sermons. It wasn't actually an hour and 10 minutes, but it was... Over an hour. 61 minutes. I think it was an hour and one minute. Oh, okay. My bad. I hate to cheat you out of those. Yeah, uh, but it was definitely my longest, I think my longest sermon ever. There's a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah. And you tackled it in seven sermons. So have you done that before? Have you preached Ecclesiastes never. before? I've never preached Ecclesiastes before. I um, Honestly, I think I've always been really intimidated by it. It's a really intimidating book, more so than Job. Yeah, I can see why. But it was, it was time in your preaching schedule for wisdom mm-hmm. literature. Um, any thoughts? You, you have preached Job before, right? No, Jeff, Jeff has done did Job, Job. And I've done Simeon Trust workshops on Job. So I have some Job sermons, okay, but the congregations never heard them. Only workshop people have. So at one point you were going back and forth since it was time for wisdom literature and we're in this pandemic and this time of great division in our country. And yeah. you're thinking, uh, should I do Job or Ecclesiastes? What yeah. slid the scale over to Ecclesiastes for you? Because you would have had a little heads up on Job, apparently. I would have. I would yeah. have, yeah. Uh, so I to answer that question, let me, let me just back up and Good. explain how I think about wisdom literature. That and, would be really helpful. And where Ecclesiastes fits into it, because that, I think, helps answer the question. So I think it's really important to realize that the wisdom literature of the Bible um, works together as a, a single set of literature. So we've got several different books. Such as? Well, we've got Proverbs, we've got Job, we've got Ecclesiastes. Uh, we have some Psalms, not all the Psalms count as wisdom, but some do. Uh, we've got Song of Solomon, which I think also fits into wisdom literature. So the, the purpose of the, the wisdom literature in the Bible 
is, as I said over and over and over again in the series, uh, to help people know how to live well in God's world. Uh, it's the so arts. that would be the definition of wisdom that you would use, how to live well in God's well, world. Well, Proverbs says the, defi- the, the wisdom begins with fear, fear of the God. Lord, yeah. right? But, but the purpose of wisdom is to teach people how to live well. Uh, it's kind of the art of living well in God's world. Now, what does that mean? Well, at the core of wisdom literature is this idea that the world works a certain way because God made it. Because God is holy, because God is good, because God uh, is just, there's, a, there's a, a basic moral cause and effect that's built into the universe. So living righteously should lead to good things, and living wickedly, you know, normally is going to lead to bad things. And the book of Proverbs is all about that. The, the book of Proverbs, which is sort of the core of wisdom literature, is all about making the case, hey guys, listen up, this is the way the world works, generally, and you would be wise to follow this, right? So the problem is the world doesn't always work the way it's supposed to work. Uh, the, the world generally works according to the kind of moral laws, but on, on either side of that, we've got Job and Ecclesiastes, so we've, we've got the book of Job that, that then explores, well, what happens when an obviously good person suffers? Like, how do we make sense of that? If the world normally works, good leads to blessing and wickedness leads to judgment, how do we make sense of a, of a good person suffering? Ecclesiastes, though, is kind of on the other side of it and saying, yeah, okay, the world, you know, generally works this way, except... So often it doesn't. And how do we make sense of that? So not so much suffering in particular, but, but so often it looks like the, the wicked get ahead and, and the good don't get ahead. It's not that they suffer necessarily badly, but they, they don't get ahead. Um, how do we make sense of the fact that there's always a fly in the ointment? How do we make sense of the fact that uh, we, can, we can pursue the good life and we can try to, to live our life according to the principles of Proverbs. And yet, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. Uh, so Ecclesiastes is, is addressing the sort of repetitive and constant frustration that attends this, this sense of the world should work a certain way, and, and it doesn't. And so as I was, as I was thinking about our current situation, where, um, I mean, even just like, here we are, we're living in America, we're the most advanced civilization that's ever lived, right? And we're, out, we're also a civilization that's built on some moral principles uh, related to democracy and uh, f- freedoms and human rights and all that sort of stuff. Like if there was ever society that things should be going pretty well with, it should be ours. And we are like laid low by this pandemic. And we are, uh, con- we continue to be divided and riven as a society by charges of injustice related to race and related to economics. And, and then we've got this partisan election going on. Right, 
And everybody has a sense of who the good guy is and who the bad guy is, but not everybody agrees on who belongs in that category. And you just know that you, I just knew we were going to get to the end of this election. And, you know, roughly half the congregation is going to think that righteousness was served. And the other half of the congregation is, is going to think, no, righteousness was, was trampled in the dust, mm-hmm. you know, by mm-hmm. the results of the election. And so I was just kind of looking at all of that. I was thinking, oh, that's Ecclesiastes. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad you, you preached Ecclesiastes. I, I want to talk a little bit more in a minute about maybe a personal chord that the book struck with you mm-hmm. as you got a chance to meditate and preach through it, as well as what the congregation, what you heard back from the congregation over the last seven weeks or the so, seven sermons. Um, but let's, let's get into the text just a little bit kind of the beginning and the end, and then we can make some comments about how those inform the middle. But from the very beginning, the teacher says, absolute futility, everything is futile. Um, You know, that certainly is how we often feel. It's really pessimistic, isn't it? But it seems a little strange to have that kind of perspective in the Bible. So talk about how you understood futility. And, and I mean, that's obviously a, a big repeated theme throughout the book. Yeah. So I think the best way to understand, well, where we have to start with understanding that phrase, absolute futility, everything is futile, is the very next verse. So that's, the, the teacher gives us his conclusion right up front, but, but then he explains what he's talking about in the next verse when in chapter one, verse three, he says, what does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? So the idea there is, what, what's the profit? Like at the end of the day, when we settle accounts, uh, after all the effort I put into life, whether that effort is spent toward uh, wisdom or justice or wealth and prosperity or just the good life, um, at the end of the day, when I add it all up and I take you know, all of my revenue and I subtract from it all of my expenses, what's the profit? What's the gain that's left at the end? That's kind of what he's after. And he's essentially saying, yeah, nothing. There, there, is, there, is no, there is no profit at the end. And therefore... Particularly because of death. Yes. And therefore, everything is futile. And the reason yeah. for it is because of death. Yeah. D- death is the great leveler. Uh, de- death is is the thing that that says no matter how much good you get in this life, it's gone. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Um, so so the futility that he's after is the futility of trying to find gain or ultimate meaning or lasting value in this life. You're just not going to find it. Uh, and and yet we're kind of we're wired to chase after it. Um, and, and so he's observing this is a futile, absolutely futile chase. Yeah, because apart from death, when you're talking about the, the prophet and your, what you put into it, I immediately think, well, what about Jeff Bezos? <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> you know? Jeff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, richest man in, in the history of the world. But he's gonna die just like I am. Yeah, yeah. And all of that money isn't gonna prevent him from dying. And he's not going to be able to use any of that money after he dies. Mm-hmm. It all goes to someone else. Uh, and Ecclesiastes even talks about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the futility of the... And he, and he calls it a travesty, you, you know, a, a grievous travesty. 
that, that someone would accumulate all this wealth only to leave it to someone else, and they probably won't even use it well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the point? Right. So you're happy with that translation from the Hebrew to futility? That's what we have here. It's, in the... it's a really difficult translation, isn't it? Yeah. Because the, the, the word uh, means breath or vapor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on, on the one hand, it's pointing to the ephemerality mm-hmm. of life. It's, it's pointing it's a good to... Word to the, the fragility mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. It's all going to just go away. Yeah. Yeah. But as a result of that, it means, boy, if that's what we were after, and if that's what we're going to kind of hang our hat on at the end of the day, it's futility. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that you added a sound effect. Oh. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've gotten like real sound effects. Although uh, you do see I have these buttons now. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can, you'll, you'll have to steer me away from those because I get tempted by the bright lights. Um, so that's the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Let's, let's turn to the end, something that might be a little bit more fresh in our minds from when you preached the conclusion just a few weeks ago here in chapter 12. Um, Fear God and keep his commands. So this is chapter 12, mm-hmm. the conclusion. For God will bring every act uh, every act of judgment. You, you said that some interpret this end of Ecclesiastes to kind of cancel out everything that has gone before it. Um, but you didn't take that view. No, that's a very common view. I mean, I think okay. that's the view I was taught growing up. Huh. Uh, I've got several commentaries by really respected evangelical scholars that take that view. And, and they, what they understand is that what the teacher is giving is essentially the, the very best, and, but the limits of secular wisdom. Hmm. Like, what's, what's, the, what's the best we can come up with apart from God? And, uh, and it's pretty grim. Uh, and so then the editor comes in at the end and says, yeah, but here's, here's the real conclusion. Uh, fear God and obey His commands. Uh, because this is for all humanity, this is the duty of all men. Uh, I think, actually, a better way of understanding that is to recognize what he says in the paragraph right before. Um, And, of course, this is the way I preached that last sermon. Uh, In the paragraph right before, he talks about, in very positive terms, the teacher's uh, search for wisdom and, and how good it was. And his, his, his work to, to collect and find delightful sayings and to write words of truth accurately. And, th- and then he even goes on to say that all of that wisdom from the teacher it comes from one shepherd. It comes from God. Hmm. But there's a limit to wisdom. There's a limit to wisdom. There's a limit to how much we can make sense of and explain this world. And so when we, when we reach the, the end, the limit of wisdom, what are we left with? Fear God. Trust, mm-hmm. trust Him. Mm-hmm. Understand, and you put, in, I think in your sermon, you said, entrust yourself to and Him. And entrust yourself to Him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, fear Him, obey Him, because He is going to judge. And, and while our wisdom, even our wisdom through revelation, like, the book of Proverbs and, and the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, there's, it's finite. There's, there's a limit to it. There's only so much we can make sense of, but God is not so limited. Mm-hmm. And so the day will come on the last day when he judges all things 
that he will make sense of it all. Uh, and, and we'll be able to trust the way he makes sense of it all. But that's not given to us. What's given to us at the end of the day is to recognize the limits of our wisdom, to live wisely, but recognize the limits of the wisdom, and in the end, trust God and entrust ourselves to him. And so what that lets me do is instead of taking a cynical and nihilistic approach to life, um, or instead of taking um, a, a, a kind of just, well, life doesn't matter, and, and a, a pietistic approach to life, it allows me to actually take hold of life robustly and actually enjoy this life and enjoy, <clears throat> excuse me, enjoy the good for the good. Um, and to pursue justice, and to pursue wisdom, and to kind of live life to the full, but then hold it loosely, uh, to not make more of that life than I'm supposed to. Hmm. And, and you structured, if I, this is just from memory, it's been a few weeks, mm -hmm. but didn't you have two points from this text? One, the limits of wisdom, and kind of two, entrust yourself to God. And you, you spend a little more time on the limits of wisdom. Yeah. Um, I yes, I I think that. I I, I think, wasn't criticizing you. No, no, that's right. I, I, I we had a little bit of this discussion in the service review, right? Yeah. Like, why did I choose to balance out that last sermon the way I did? Yeah. <clears throat> and I I spent. Let's see. Gosh, I wish I could remember exactly. I've mentally I've moved on to Philemon. Mm. Um, uh, how did I structure that last sermon? Um, build your life on wisdom, mm -hmm. but entrust your life to God. That was the that was that last sermon, and I spent most I spent more time on build your life on wisdom, mm -hmm. and I did that because I think sometimes as evangelicals, we tend to take an overly pietistic and detached approach to life, and we think actually it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's all going to burn anyway. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, no, no, no. The, the, the point of Proverbs, the point of Ecclesiastes is, is not to despise wisdom, but to really press us into the need for wisdom. And wisdom comes from all sorts of different sources. Uh, it, even Benjamin Franklin. Even, I quoted Benjamin Franklin. I mean, we find wisdom, if it all comes from one shepherd, then all truth is God's truth. So there's wisdom to be found all over the place. Mm -hmm. And we should be diligent to seek it out. We should be diligent to live wisely in this world and to, and to pursue the good life. I mean, I think that's what wisdom's for, to live well, the art of living well in God's world is the pursuit of the good life, as God defines it, not as we would sinfully define it, but as God defines it. So talk a little bit more about the good life according to Ecclesiastes um, in particular. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just go ahead. Go well, ahead. I, I, Ecclesiastes is. Um, I, I was just blown away by how realistic it was. It was. Mm -hmm. um, so, so Ecclesiastes is really blunt in saying, "Yeah, it's better to be rich than to be poor." <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's 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 better <clears throat> um, to have a large happy family than to not have a large happy family. It's better. Like it, it's just. It was just kind of honest about the fact that there's a reason people pursue wealth and good food and nice vacations and um, good jobs. There's, there's a reason for that. 
it's because they're good. <laughs> you know, it's because it, it's 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 better than not having a good job, right? So really realistic about that, and yet at the end saying, oh, but but don't put all your hope there, because even if you get it, you you might not be able to keep it, and even if you can keep it, actually it's not going to be as satisfying as you think it is. So that kind of nuance to me is incredibly refreshing. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to, I think, in very pious ways, want to say, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm, I don't want to make too much money. You, you know, mm-hmm. I'm more interested in spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Well, no, if you, if you can make more money, you should make more money. Mm-hmm. Because, because you don't I, hear that from uh, Christian pulpits very much. Maybe they should <laughs> preach their Ecclesiastes. Maybe so. That, but that's certainly what the teacher is saying. If you can make more money, you should make more money. Hmm. But don't put your hope there. Let, let me just uh, ask a, a couple follow-ups. You, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes talks about aging, the challenges of aging. I mean, this has uh, to do ultimately with death. But how, how do you how do you think of the seeking to live the good life as we're constantly each day getting one day hmm. closer to death and our bodies are breaking down. Oh, yeah. How, I mean, how, do, how does Ecclesiastes put, and, and seeking the good life, how does it put old age into perspective or aging into perspective? Yeah, it's, it's uh, it particularly in that next to last chapter, chapter 11, oh, I found that so moving because... On the one hand, uh, Ecclesiastes recognizes, oh, it's good to be young. It really is good to be young. It's good to have a body that can run. It's good to have ears that can hear. <laughs> it's good to have taste buds that can taste all the flavors. Um, and so enjoy it you know, while you have it. But don't forget, you're, you are going to lose all of that. Like, like um, Certainly... To grow old should be to grow wise. But, it, but all of us, if we live long enough, will we'll live to a point where growing old, the, 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 the disadvantages of growing old will outweigh the advantages of growing old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that picture at the end, uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, of that house falling into ruin and decay so poignant. Um, so, so it seems to me that Ecclesiastes is, is saying to the young, yes, in, enjoy youth, but remember, you're, you're going to die. You're going to die. Your body is, is going to fail. And so don't live according to the YOLO philosophy. You only live once. Yoda. But live to the YODO philosophy. YODO. You only die once. Um, and, and live in light of the fact that, that you know death is coming. And after death, there's judgment. Hmm. Hmm. So there's, there's this wonderful um, complexity, it seems to me, to Ecclesiastes' perspective. Because it's not a killjoy. It doesn't say to young people, you're going to die, so don't do anything that might look like it's fun. It doesn't say that. Um, it says, you're going to die, 
So live in light of that. Um, there's, the, uh, it's, Ecclesiastes messes with our neat categories that are overly reductionistic and overly simplistic. Hmm. And it says, no, actually, life is a lot messier than that. Hmm. So enjoy your youth, but don't forget you're going to die. And, and let that inform the way you enjoy your youth. But don't forget to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anything that uh, particularly jumped off the page to you as you were meditating and thinking and preaching through Ecclesiastes? Um, it, it can be something that you've already mentioned that you just want to underline that personally was, was helpful to you, challenging to you. I think one of the things that... Um, that I found challenging was the um, the poem that everybody knows that begins chapter three. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. And you never even mentioned in the sermon the song by what is it, the birds? <laughs> I didn't. I did. I thought about doing a reference. Yeah. Um, well, I can't even remember who it was. Who I, does I that think song. it is. I think okay. it is the birds. And I, I didn't. I didn't do a reference there. Um, and it just, it, sh it, it, it in many ways seems to me to capture the, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Now, I, I pointed out that the punchline of the poem is, is given in um, verse 9. So after all of this, there's a time for this, there's a time for that, there's a time for building, there's a time for tearing down, there's a time for sowing, there's a time for reaping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he works through all of it. And, but then verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? You know, you know, so again, yeah, there's a time for everything, but uh, at the end, there's, there's no profit. But one, one of the things that I really appreciate about this poem is that it it's demonstrating a willingness to live inside the messy complexity and reality of life. And we're not very good at that. Uh, we, want, we want answers now. We want solutions now. We want everything fixed now. We want everything to work the way it's supposed to work. And, and this poem is pointing out, yeah, that, uh, that's not the way it is. That's not the way life works. I was with a pastor this last week, uh, and we were doing a Q&A with a bunch of pastors. And um, one of the pastors asked us, you know, what's the most difficult uh, thing about pastoring right now. And, and he, he and I, these two, we were doing the Q&A together and, and we were talking about just how difficult it is to know uh, how to respond to some of the various challenges that are coming at us. But then at one point in that particular discussion, he referenced um, Ecclesiastes 3. And he pastors in a, an even more urban context than we're in. And we were talking about the particular difficulties with all the social unrest and the division around issues of race and justice. And he just, I think, recognized, you know, this, 
for me as a white pastor in a very urban setting, this is not a time to build. There's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of um, concern and misunderstanding and division. And he said, you know, this is not the time for me to step in and say, hey, I got solutions to all of this. Uh, this is the time for me to be mending my barn, working on the tractor. You know, Figuratively speaking, because he lives in the city, he probably doesn't have either of those. Exactly, he doesn't. Yeah. Figuratively speaking, you know, this is, this is a time to be getting ready to sow, but this is not a time to sow. Hmm. And I, as I listened to him reflect on that, I thought, yeah, that's, that's wisdom. Of just being willing to live as a finite person in the complexity and messiness of life. And it's not fatalism, um, it's humility. Hmm. And I think that Ecclesiastes keeps pushing us in that direction. And honestly, I think we need more of that. What uh, what did you hear back from the congregation? Anything that was consistently coming back? I mean, I know a number of people had never heard a series on Ecclesiastes before, and they were appreciative. Um, and so I know you got some some encouragement along the way. I got a lot of encouragement, and I I, I think uh, uh, for a lot of people this was new. Uh, for a lot of people, it was refreshing to be told that it's okay to enjoy the the goodness of life just because it's good. Hmm. Kind and, of giving them that freedom. Yeah, permission. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, being given permission to recognize that, oh, yeah, sometimes things don't turn out, and it's it's not my fault. It's not anybody's fault, exactly. Uh, and I, I need to, I can accept it. And I don't have to have an answer for everything, because there isn't an answer for everything. Hmm. Um, so again and again, I, I, I would get these texts and emails from people referring to specific situations in their lives and just saying, thank you. This, this gave me the perspective I needed to know how to move forward. And for many people, how to move forward without guilt. Um, hmm. Yeah. Now, that wasn't everybody. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah. Know? I mean, I think, yeah. I think some people... And the congregation uh, certainly, you know, disagreed with me on various things, and they let me know about that, um, or or just continued to find it perplexing, which I understand. It's a perplexing book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we're almost out of time, yeah. and I have one more big question for yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, to try to answer it briefly. I will. But I, when I look at Ecclesiastes, one of the big challenges I see is how is this a Christian book? Like, how do you preach Christ from Ecclesiastes? Mm-hmm. How did you think through that? Yeah, I think that's it's hard, right? Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, two things. Uh, Christ is the wise man, hmm. uh, and Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. So those were two basic ways I was always thinking of moving towards the gospel out of this book. Uh, he, he is the teacher who is the wise man um, and who perfectly understands how to live well and showed us how to live well. Mm-hmm. He is also the display of the wisdom of God mm-hmm. in the foolishness of the cross. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, though, that presses us towards the gospel in this is that 
Ecclesiastes is confronting us with the finitude, the limitations of our own wisdom and our own ability um, to make sense of life or to use our life in the boundaries of our life to create ultimate meaning. And so, so Ecclesiastes is constantly pushing us outside of ourself and beyond ourself, mm-hmm. back, to, back to God. Mm. Yeah, now that you mentioned those, I, I recognize that, I guess maybe those are like two and a half main ways yes, to move to Christ from, from, the, from the text of Ecclesiastes. But I also appreciated how you did biblical theology of, of Christ, the, the better and true Adam. Um, yeah, who to, is he? Because he's the first wise man, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, Solomon is presented as a second Adam. Mm-hmm, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's helpful. I uh, wish we could talk about that more, but I just have a couple final questions for you that I hope will be helpful. Mm-hmm. For well, one is just for fun. Any favorite introduction from the series? <laughs> so my favorite introduction was the one that caused the most pain, agony, frustration, and controversy. Oh no, I, I, I don't even know which one this is. Uh, it was the one on justice. Okay. Um, it was ill-advised, but I still think it captured it best. It, it was the introduction in which I, I talked about the, the ruling that came out on the Breonna Taylor case from Louisville. Okay, yeah. To me, it was the best real-life example of what was going on in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Something that was both just and unjust simultaneously. Yeah, really captured that if idea. that's not futility, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet, some people understood that to be a political statement when... Anyways, it was not at all. I understand. There was... If you're listening, you may not believe this, but I don't... I didn't make an intentionally political statement in the entire sermon. Yeah. It's in the entire series, but anyway. Anyways. Um, some uh, folks might be wanting to get in Ecclesiastes more, so they listen to your sermons. You yeah. can always go back and re-listen to them on the, the other podcast, the sermon podcast. Um, but any resources that would be helpful if you want to study Ecclesiastes, say, uh, in, on your own or in a small group or do a one-on-one Bible study with someone, what, what commentaries or books would you recommend that you found helpful as you were in your study? Yeah, I, I really love the book by David Gibbs, Gibson, uh, Living Life Backwards. Yep. Uh, just superb. Um, now it doesn't deal with the entire book. He skips some chapters. It's not like a. It's not a commentary. It's not a commentary. It's a series of longish meditations, a sermonic kind of in form. Uh, for all I know, it was a preaching series that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a who past- is he's David? a pastor okay. uh, up in Scotland. Okay, um, but just superb. What if you don't read Scottish? <laughs> uh, you'll find you'll find this very very accessible. Okay. Um, so in terms of a like like if you want some commentaries, uh, I particularly liked Ian Proven P R O V A N. Okay. The NIV application. Okay. Uh, commentary on it. I think he does a lot of really good uh, biblical theology work, as well as some provocative application. And then uh, Craig Bartholomew, if you really want a a uh, a technical commentary, uh, Craig Bartholomew's commentary is superb. Some other things that are really useful um, in the in the series, the little silver newspapers in biblical theology series that Don Carson does. There's a volume called Five Festal Garments, and uh, there's. It looks at five different books in in uh, the Old Testament, and one of them 
is uh, Ecclesiastes, and it builds off the the idea that in the Jewish tradition, uh, Ecclesiastes was known as the garment of frustration or vexation. Uh, the one that gave chafing? Chafing, <laughs> exactly. I thought there was some really helpful uh, perspective there. There's another book called, uh, oh gosh, Learning Wisdom from the First and Last Books of the Wisdom Literature. It's basically a volume by a professor at Gordon-Conwell that literally looks at the first and last book of each of the wisdom books. First and last chapter of oh, each okay. of the wisdom books. Yeah. Kind of top and tail uh-huh, to uh-huh. try to get a sense of what's going on. That's clever. And it's very clever. It's very uh, good. Huh. Uh, which, um, I'm blanking on the author's name, but maybe we'll find it for the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are, those are some, some resources that, that I found helpful. That's great. Michael, thank you for faithfully preaching to us from the book of Ecclesiastes. It was a joy. And thank you for having this conversation. It's been thank great. Thank you for having me. And I'm not just saying that because you're my boss. <laughs>